0: I know people are ready to come back to church. On the other hand, there are some who say they aren't going anywhere until there's a vaccine or until everyone's been tested. So, the million-dollar question then, when are we going to be able to come back to church here at St. Paul? Very soon, I think. (laughs) But as I've said previously... I don't expect everyone's going to flock back to church at once because there's still a risk of getting sick. And to illustrate this, I'm going to paraphrase uh, or uh, I'm going to read to you uh, sort of uh, my abridged version of an excellent article I read on CNN by political analyst Julian Zelizer. Forty-five years ago, America became captivated by the release of the first summer blockbuster film, Jaws. People flocked to theaters to see a terrifying movie about a shark threatening the lives of beachgoers. Today, we find ourselves facing similar tensions to the ones that unfolded on the screen back then. Now, our shark is a virus. And as we grapple with how to keep citizens safe while reopening our public spaces the film can offer some important lessons. The story takes place in a resort town called Amity over the July 4th weekend. It begins with a great white shark killing a young woman skinny dipping. With her death, well, while her death was clearly the result of a shark attack, the town's mayor, Larry Vaughn, decides not to shut down the beaches. He's worried about losing the revenue. He says, now people can't swim here. They'll be glad to swim at the beaches of Cape Cod, the Hamptons, Long Island. Police Chief Martin Brody tries to change the mayor's position, convinced that the shark is real, but to no avail. The pressure to keep the beaches open, come what may, is not unlike today's pressure to reopen the economy as soon as possible. But we should take note of what happened in the movie. Keeping the beach opened turned out to be a disaster. Predictably, as people kept swimming, the shark continued to kill. The town gradually learns that it is not possible to carry on with business as usual while the danger exists out in the water. Mayor Vaughn tries the cheap solution. Let the fishermen of the island go out and try to catch the shark for a cash reward. They catch a big shark, but it isn't Jaws. Mayor Vaughn, in a local TV interview, cheerfully says, As you see, it's a beautiful day, the beaches are opened, and people are having a wonderful time. But Jaws is still out there, and more people die. Summer is over, Larry. You're the mayor of Shark City, Brody says. When Mayor Vaughn mutters, I was acting in the town's best interest. Brody responds, That's right, Larry, and that's why you're going to do the right thing. The mayor charges Brody, Quint, the island's veteran salty fisherman, and Hooper, a marine biologist, called in as a consultant to catch and kill Jaws. These guys are now on the front line as the town waits in nervous anticipation. With a terrifying soundtrack that would fit the mood of today, signaling a danger that lurks all around, the rest of the film revolves around the hunt. And the film moves forward with a series of near-fatal encounters, Quint ultimately becoming one of the victims, until they finally figure out a way to kill Jaws. Today, we're on a mission to thwart an organism that can kill us our intrepid shark hunters, our healthcare care workers, and infectious disease experts, as well as the responsible governors who've been warning about the gravity of the pandemic. These heroic characters want to reopen society in ways that will guarantee the safety of consumers and workers, while creating confidence for all Americans, Americans to reenter public spaces, even if some risks remain. But we're also hearing from our own Mayor Vaughn. He ignores the fact that, like a hungry shark, COVID-19 is a real danger that lurks all around us. Jaws delivers a basic and hard-to-dispute message that in order to make people feel safe to go into the water, you need to neutralize the shark. We We enter the summer season tired and worn down, but having made progress over the past months in flattening the curve of contagion, slowly starting the progress of recovery. And to continue this trend, we need to heed the warnings of those who have been leading the hunt and make sure our invisible shark is truly defeated before we send people back into the water. I believe that's a good analogy for the church as well. I thank you for your patience All this time. You may not think you've been loving your neighbor as yourself while cooped up in your home. But in fact you've been doing the most loving thing for your neighbor in helping not spread the virus. We've been doing the most loving thing for each other by not gathering this whole time. I know that that may seem counter to the whole purpose of the church for some of you. But I believe it's true. And I love you too. So I'm trying to do the most loving thing for you by worshiping together in a way which minimizes the risk of infection. It's not ideal. But I said all that last week. Today I'll say that that this has never been a freedom of religion issue. We've, We've been free to worship all this time. In fact, if we were a church of 25 people or less, we could have been here together every Sunday since March 13th. But we're a church of 240 members. And we would have to have up to nine separate services on Sunday to accommodate everyone. Nine services. Yeah. You want to hire another pastor, a couple more pastors, and some more musicians? We could do that, but... So, realistically, we're going to need to continue this way for a little longer. Remember, we're the church militant, right? In that we stand together as soldiers of the cross, enduring the battle. We're also the church victorious, not because of any constitutional guarantee of religious freedom or because we have a champion for our cause in government. We're victorious because Christ has overcome all things through his death, resurrection, and ascension. He rules the world and has given us a government to maintain peace and health. Now, we can argue as to how effective that government is. Nevertheless, we have one. So did the apostles at the time Jesus walked with them and went away from them back into heaven. They had a government too. They had the emperor in Rome and the governor, Pontius Pilate of Judea. Bad men, to be sure. <laughs> right? As wicked and corrupt as the Roman Empire was, Pax Romana. right? You know, Roman peace. That was the tagline of the day. And there was a measure of peace and order but notice in our text today from 1st Peter even under the oppressive and harsh roman empire god tells the faithful to honor everyone in authority honor everyone god must be honored above all names and authorities we know this but he tells us to honor even the corrupt human authorities And obey them as long as they don't command us to violate his will. Now, some of you will ask, well, is it God's will then that the state orders us to not gather in the sanctuary? Maybe that's not the right question. Maybe the question should be, what is God's will? That we know because he's told us, love one another, obey the authorities. Among, among other things. Also notice that God assures us that we can live as people who are free. Even under oppression. He says that in here. So imagine even if things today were worse than they are. We can still live as free people in Jesus Christ. We could still serve others in his name. And when we do this together as Christians. We live our faith. We prove the foolish world's accusations about us are false. For example, this is why the elders and I weren't initially thrilled with the idea of drive-in church here. We've demonstrated our love for our community even to those who have no faith in Jesus by listening to the authorities and following their guidance. My point is we haven't given anyone in our community a reason to accuse us of being reckless unscientific narrow-minded hypocritical you know all the usual clichéd accusations that the church gets thrown at her and we haven't done this either to cover up any of our any of our own evil we've continued confessing our sin weekly as sinners in need of continual assurance that we are forgiven Now, unfortunately, there have been some examples of Christians acting contrary to this sound apostolic advice. You may have heard about the church in Mississippi that got burned to the ground because the people there were meeting again and cars could be seen in the parking lot again on Sundays. Their sanctuary got torched along with the message that you'll stay inside now, you hypocrites, Now, the perpetrator or perpetrators weren't very smart for doing this, and they didn't know how to correctly spell hypocrite either. Uh, This isn't to say that this little church deserved what they got for violating the state's stay-at-home order. I'm, I'm not saying that. You just have to wonder if what Peter is saying in this text actually played out in some way in this case. The ignorance of those foolish people who burned down that church doesn't seem to have been put to silence. Instead, it's gotten national public attention. And then there are the churches who are in, who are in trouble now with their states for violating orders, not to mention the churches who are fighting back with lawsuits. I mean, it's just a complete mess. Who's right and who's wrong? Have some of our brothers and sisters in Christ just feel they've been pushed to the brink too far? I don't feel we've been pushed into a corner here. And besides, I'm compelled by our text today to continue doing the good we've been doing. We must continue to rely on Jesus to guide us because he's fought the battle for us and won. He fought it with humility and meekness, taking on human flesh, living and dying as a slave. We follow in his footsteps. Luther says if you're a faithful Christian, you should tread in the footsteps of the Lord and have compassion on those who harm you. You should also pray for them and ask God not to punish them, for they do far more harm to their souls than they do to your body. If you take this to heart, you'll surely forget your own troubles and suffer gladly. We should be mindful of the fact that formerly we too led the kind of unchristian life that they lead, but that we have now been converted through Christ. As the church, my friends, we wait for the shark to be hunted down and killed before we get back into the water. It hasn't been easy up to this point. I know this. And we still have a way to go before we'll be able to be together as before. I've been experimenting with some seating arrangements in here that will maintain social, social distancing. But again, yeah, you know, this is a small sanctuary, right? Going to have to start with small groups of people. But we'll continue our online presence as long as it's beneficial to you. I want you to be safe. I want you to feel safe. I don't want you to feel pressured to come back or that I'm like Mayor Vaughn in the movie and ignoring the risks. I'm not. So I'll keep you updated every week and the elders and I will do what we can together to bring us all back in in due safe time. For now, let's pray. Gracious God, we praise you for caring for us through the through the misery of this pandemic. But we are honored to follow you through it, for you have already trodden through much worse for us. Give us grace to honor everyone, do good for our neighbor, love one another, and fear you. Amen.